You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, what comes into your mind when I say true love? Well, that's what I would hope if you've got a spouse. Hopefully your wife or your husband uh, comes into your mind. That would be really, really wonderful. I think for some people, if you are old enough to have watched The Princess Bride, the movie. Anyone watch that? If you have watched this movie, I guarantee you what's in your mind right now is this. An impressive clergyman saying, love, true love, is what brings us together today. If you haven't seen the movie, I really recommend it. Do go and look. What, what, what comes into your mind when you hear the words true love? For some, I, I hope it's a, it's a spouse. If you don't have a spouse, maybe it's something, or perhaps you've lost a spouse, maybe it's something uh, that brings a, a longing in your heart, something you long for. I, I wish I had true love. Uh, perhaps it's something that you've always longed for. Or uh, maybe... It's about something that you see just in the fairy tales and you don't think actually it it doesn't really exist in this world. What comes into your mind as we say true love? What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what the Apostle John spoke or wrote about true love. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4. It's around about page 990 in your Bible. So thinking back to last week's sermon... Open up your Bibles and make sure I'm actually preaching what's in that. So page 990, 1 John chapter 4, uh, 7 to 21. And really as we turn to this, John is, well, I don't think there's anyone better to turn to to hear about what love is all about. He's often been described as the apostle of love. He mentions it more than any other writer in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, uh, the only place that love is mentioned more is in the Psalms. There's a story told by uh, Jerome, one of the early fathers in the church, uh, 4th century. He describes a story of John as an extremely old man and uh, apparently... Uh, After his exile to Patmos, he went to the church in Ephesus and as an extremely old man, they used to carry him out and he would just say the same thing every time. He'd say, little children love one another. And the story went uh, that at last, wearied that he always spoke the same words, they asked, Master, why do you always just say that? Why do you say that? Because, he replied, it's the Lord's command. And if only this is done, it is enough. Well, whether that's a true story or not, I don't, I don't know. But I do know it's entirely consistent with what we see in our passage this morning. Again and again, he tells us to love one another. Uh, we see at the beginning of our passage this morning, we see... In the middle, we see it at the end. So verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. Verse 11, we also ought to love one another. Or verse 21, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, that is exactly right, we think. 
yes, we should love one another. Everyone should love one another. That's the most unsurprising Christian thing you've ever heard. Love one another. Of course we should. But we don't. We don't. Well, perhaps we can be excused because, after all, we don't really control how we feel, do we? Uh, I would love to love you, but there's, you know, there's no zinc factor, there's no real spark, I just don't feel it. Maybe you look at people around you and go, uh, just, some people just rub you up the wrong way. Love one another. But did you notice that in the passage here, it's actually a command. It's a command. John says, I command you to love one another. You must love one another. And if it's a command, actually that tells you something about love, doesn't it? It tells you that it is not just a feeling. If God can command us to love, then love has to be a decision as well, doesn't it? I fall... Actually, I think as we look at the Bible, what we see is that love is a decision, yes, but it's also an action and it's also an emotion. And it can actually come up in any of those orders. So the classic way we understand love is that the emotion comes first. So I see the beautiful person and I fall in love, you know, straight away. I feel the emotion. And so I arrange things such uh, that we see each other more and more. So emotion first and then I decide. No, I make an action. I I arrange to see the person more and more. Uh, And then there's a decision. I ask her to marry me. And uh, that's pretty much what happened with me and Hannah, really. Usually there's, there's a whole lot of flowers and dates and things but no it was pretty much gosh she's beautiful and then hang out where I know she's going to be and then ask her to marry me and that's pretty much it um I I could have taken some lessons in in wooing uh but it worked out it worked out in the end so that's how it often happens emotion action decision But it can also happen in this order. It can happen decision, action, emotion. So when I was 18, I lived in Papua New Guinea. And I hung out with a lot of the single men there. And one of the big topics of conversation was who had been arranged for them to marry. So there was always arranged marriages. And you may come from a culture where that's that's normal. And actually, as I spoke to these guys, they'd say, so who have your parents arranged for you to marry? And I say, actually, my parents don't. I, I, kinda, I, have to, I, I get to choose. They were really sorry for me. <laughs> they were like, you have to do all that work? <laughs> you, 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 you have to do it? Gosh, that must be stressful. That must be terrible. Uh, So their parents decided they got married. Overwhelmingly, actually, their experience was that the emotion followed. In fact, uh, there's research by a Harvard academic, Dr Robert Epstein, to suggest that by 10 years into a marriage, feelings of of affection are typically twice as high 
in arranged marriages. So there you go. Uh, I'm going to be putting that into effect, that research, and I'm sure my kids will love it. <laughs> love is a decision, an action, and an emotion. And I think more often in church, actually, it'll work more like the arranged marriage kind of way. It, it works more like decision, action, emotion. We decide to love one another. We act in ways of love towards each other. And what we discover is that as we're here as a community, as God's people, more and more, the heart follows. We come to love one another. Love is a decision, an action, and an emotion. The ever-quotable C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this. I've got it up here, but it may be a bit hard to read, so I'm going to read it out for you. Do not waste time bothering about whether you love your neighbour. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you'll presently come to love him. So John, he commands us to love, love one another, love our neighbours, love our friends, love the people of St John's, even love our enemies. Love one another, he says. You know what? If only the command was enough. Russia and Ukraine, love one another. People of Sudan, love one another. Israel and Palestine, love one another. The history of humanity is littered with a total and utter inability to actually fulfil that command. And the history of our churches has all too often been little different. Since the fall, humanity has been the greatest enemy of humanity, fighting and killing and backbiting and gossiping and scheming and hurting. If the command had been hate one another we would be wildly successful. <laughs> Love one another. If only the command was enough. If only the command. Do we love one another? Yes. Have you decided to love the other people in this building? Do you act? Do you feel for the other people in this building? God, God actually commands you to. There may be people in this room right now who rub you up the wrong way. There may be people in this room right now that you have some history with, that you've had falling out with. God commands you this morning to love that person. Amen. And it's a serious question because according to our passage, if the answer is no, there's some question as to whether you really know God. John doesn't pull any punches here. Uh, he says, he, verse 8, you don't know God. Verse 20, you're a liar if you don't love because you cannot love God if you do not love your neighbour. John is known as the apostle of love and yet he, he doesn't hold back here. He says, no matter how religious you are, no matter how correct your doctrine, no matter how regular you are at church, if you're not loving, then you're displaying that you don't really know God. You can have all the theological degrees you like and not know God. If you don't love one another, you don't know God. The stakes are high. That's what John says. 
it'd be easy to despair at this point because I know that I'm not perfect in loving others and I suspect the same will be the case for you too. I don't love like I should. Why, why is my heart so slow to love? Why are my hands so slow to serve others? You know, I admire Mother Teresa and her service at the board, but why does my admiration turn to imitation? Why is it so hard to love? Why don't we love? Is it because love's hard? Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe we just don't feel like we have it in us. Uh, We're so exhausted by the busyness of day-to-day life uh, that we really don't have anything left to give. We're like a rain water tank at the end of a drought. You turn the tap and all that comes out is dust. Love one another? You might say to me this morning, look, I'm having trouble just being vertical. Love? Perhaps we feel like we've got nothing to give. I wonder, though, whether our lack of love actually lies in a lack of assurance. A lack of assurance that we ourselves are deeply, unshakably loved. Perhaps we've had bad experiences that make it hard to love. You've made yourself vulnerable. You've opened yourself to others and you've been hurt. Perhaps betrayed. Perhaps you've been left. And so you've built up a wall behind which you're safe. A hard wall that actually makes it hard for people to hurt you, yes, but it makes it hard for you to love. There's vulnerability in love. This is one of the hard things about love. Truly loving is to open yourself up to hurt, to pain. And actually, unless you're really assured of being loved, it's incredibly hard to love, to be vulnerable enough to love. And so before you can hear and obey that command to love one another, actually, you have to know something first. You have to know that God loves you utterly and deeply. It can only happen because God loves you. And it was a decision. God determined in the wonders of his eternal plan that he would send his son. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It was an action. It was Jesus' death upon the cross. Verse 10, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's a feeling as well. In the Bible again and again it talks about God pouring out his heart in love for his people. How do we know that God loves us? Well, because he was ultimately vulnerable, wasn't he? He was stripped bare. He was willing to be heard, open to the betrayal of a friend, left by all of his closest friends, ready to lay down his life because he loves you. Have you been hurt in love? Betrayed? Left? Well, Jesus' cross actually gathers that all up and he dies the thousand deaths of love. 
every strike of the hammer on the nails falls to the beat of God's heart of love for you. Verse 10. He sent the Son into the world as a propitiation for our sins, to turn away God's wrath and rejection, to deal with our lack of love so we can have the confidence on the day of judgment. Verse 17, and need fear no more. Oh, so much of our lack of love is because we fear judgment of others, rejection. We can come before God with no fear because of his love. The great preacher of the 19th century, Spurgeon, has said this, In this is love, says the apostle, as though you could find it nowhere else as it is here. Here is the height and the depth of love immeasurable. Here is love summed up. Here is love's source. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. If you feel like you don't have much love to give. Well he's given it all already. If you feel like you don't have much left to give. He's given it all already. If you lack assurance that you're loved. God says look at the cross. God loves you. God is for you. And although we hear that again and again, you know, as I've been a minister uh, for, I don't know, it must be almost 20 years now, I think this is the one truth people find hardest to really grasp and grab in their hearts and really believe. God loves you. And it doesn't change according to what you do or what you achieve. It's a permanent status in Christ. God loves you. That is certain and unchanging. God loves you. Though our feelings come and go, his love for us doesn't. It's not wearied by our sins and it's not beaten down by our indifference. We don't drop in and out of love, his love. He has set his love on you irrevocably and eternally and sealed it in his blood. There's no more secure place than that. That's the ocean of God's love for us. And I could talk here all day and we would only be in the shallows of it. However many times I fill my bucket with his love and pour it out on others, it's not lessened in the least. And it's a love that cannot run out. And so as it's poured into our hearts, it can overflow. We can love others because God loves us. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Our hearts remain unloving until the gospel actually takes us by the hand and leads us into God's way of loving. God's love is the source from which all our love can flow. It was, it was not that we loved God. God doesn't wait for us to present our hearts uh, perfected before him. No, it's not that we loved God. No one's ever wooed God or pined for his friendship. It's only that God first loved us, that love can flow towards God or towards 
others. By this shall all people know that you are my disciples, that you love one another, Jesus said. There's a vulnerability in love. But if you know to the very depths of your heart that you are utterly known and that God loves you nonetheless, in fact, God loves you completely, he loves you perfectly, that he's committed in love to you and he sent his son, then you're actually able to love others even if they don't love you back because you are in a place of utter security as someone who's loved. And so you're able to do things. Actually, people in the world, this world knows nothing of. You're able to love those who don't love you. You're able to love the unlovable because you're loved. That's the rock from which you can approach the world. The security that overcomes every threat and casts out every fear. The emotional plenty from which you can actually risk love. Even for the unlovely, even for the unloving, just as God has for you. Love is a decision, it's an action and it's an emotion. Would you plunge your bucket into this ocean and pour it out? God commands you to love one another because he knows in Christ you can. Indeed, if we're in him, we must. So we decide to love every other person here this morning among us. Love is a decision based on God's own set decision to love us, even when we were unlovely. As people go through hard times among us, we will be there with meals and prayer and financial help and help in practical ways because love is an action based on God's sacrificial service of us. And as we grow together as a church, our hearts are engaged and our feelings for one another grow. Because love's an emotion, a turning of the heart towards one another because God set his heart of love on us. Well, as we go about our business this week, love. Let's love one another. And as we live as part of God's church in this city, let's practically love our city. And as we meet God's people here this morning, let's love. If only it was as easy as obeying the command. But God pours his love into your hearts and by his grace we can. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you for your love that you pour out so abundantly, so gloriously, so wonderfully upon us. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that we would come to know that love, not just as word, but in our hearts and in our lives. Our Heavenly Father, if there are people here this morning who have been unsure of your love, I pray, Lord, that... It might come crashing through this morning. And Father, if we have been hurt and we find it hard to be vulnerable enough to love, Father, would you give us that 
deep security that we have in you and your regard. Lord, help us to love. And we pray this in the precious name of Christ, who in your love you sent to die for us and in your grace rose, uh, raised to new life so that we could live love eternally with you. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.